Our scripture this morning is John chapter 21, verses 1 through 19. If you are lucky and have a pew Bible in front of you, you can reach for it now. If I were a better person, I would have found the page for you, so I'm sorry that I didn't do that. Jesus appears to seven disciples. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were able to haul it out, haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had taken it off and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Here ends the reading of the word. What a great day. Weather-wise, 
beautiful sun, <coughs> autumn leaves. <coughs> you know, I went to the doctor this week, and I went to get a flu shot. Away for two weeks to Bolivia. I thought I'd better do that. Then when I get there, I hope this doesn't scare you, all right? Then my doctor says, oh, if you're going away, then you also need a COVID shot. So then I get this flu shot and a COVID shot. She says, oh, you, you'll just get a little bit not feeling so, you know, not so good, just a little bit. Anyway, it's wiped me out entirely the whole week. So my warning to you is do not get a double dose okay, of flu and COVID, two needles at the same time. Spread them out. That's just my non-doctor comment, all right? I know nothing about health, but I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Didn't work out for me. Anyway. So life is, you know, this challenge of everything, right? At all levels, we, you know, you can be having a happy day, and then all of a sudden something happens. So my good friend Rob, his, his grandson last night was killed uh, in a car accident. He was riding his bike. Everything's going good. You're having a good day. Boom. Something happens. And it's, it's always like that. I mean, so we have this you know, melange, this mixture of happiness and joy, pain and sorrow. And we've been thinking about these kinds of paradoxes. And this one is living in primarily this exterior world that we have, but there's also this interior dimension to ourselves. And how do they go together? And because of the craziness of our world, we tend to focus more on what we see, the visible, and we can lose sight of the invisible. So it's beyond a faith-religion issue here, right? It's, it's also just how do we also engage this world? There goes the policeman with his, with his lights on and everything. What's going on across the street, right? He zooms in there. I don't know. Something going on. So we, we have to, you know, live within this world. So here we are. We got, you have what you have on the outside, and you know what's going on in the inside. So this is the challenge we have. So the paradox of the visible and the invisible, the exterior and the interior, and we're using this story, two stories really from the Gospel of John, to address such things. This will be the final sermon on this was a little collection of talks, paradox. So we come then to our text, have this statement, the paradox of being awake spiritually in a world consumed with external things. So whatever the external things are for you, draw your mind, draw your attention then also what's going on in an in, in interior level. All right, so the paradox of being awake spiritually in a world consumed with external things. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, what he's really saying there in John the Baptist 2 is simply to wake up. Wake up. 
and be aware of what is going on. Keep watch, be alert, be attentive, all those kinds of verbs, calls. Wake up. Don't fall asleep spiritually. Do not, or do not live your life asleep. See what I mean? Wake up. So two stories, the great catch of fish and then Jesus' dialogue with Peter. So we have the great catch of fish. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. The Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, they're just called different names. There was a town known as Tiberias in the day, a Roman settlement. So Lake of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. The importance of this is that these all, all these folks are from Galilee. So this group are the Galilean seven, if you like. This group of Galilean disciples, part of the twelve, here they are. So they are obviously connected, right? They're from the same area, same accent. They are buddies together. So we hear that Peter says, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So they go out at night to fish. I'm not really a fisherman either. I'm a diver. I like to see the fish don't like to catch them so much, but I know lots of people do. I eat fish. It's good to eat. Peter says, I'm going fishing. They all say, well, I'll, we'll, we'll come along with you. Now, remember what's happened here, right? This is after the resurrection of Christ, which they've heard about, but which they have not seen Jesus yet at this point. And so I'm starting here by saying they are going back to ordinary life particularly following Peter. Remember, Peter had denied Christ three times leading up to the death of Jesus. A very painful experience for him. Of all people, he had just told them, Jesus, Jesus, I will go with you no matter what's going on. I will follow you, I will follow you, I will follow you. And that night, he denies him three times. This wipes him out. He's just overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. Something that just wipes you out. No idea that could happen. And boom, there you are. And so, what, what's happening there when Peter says, I'm going fishing? Is it simply that he wants to go fish? He's a fisherman. They're all fishermen. They like to hang out, do that. Could be. Or it could be something deeper, and I think it is. For Peter to fail that way as the leader of this group is just too much. And he decides to go back to normal life. So that's like saying, you know what, we've been, I've, been, I've been at this for three years. It's totally crazy now. Jesus has died. And I'm going to go back to knowing and doing 
what I know, and that's the fish. Back to a life on the sea, the water, the sun. Now, life on the sea would be all right, you know. Don't you think? In a Mediterranean climate, Sherry Lynn, you don't think so? <laughs> I think you think so. It's beautifully warm. You know, you know that area. Italy, Turkey, Israel. It's great, man. And your Lake of Galilee is a nice, beautiful lake. Get up every morning early. You get your gear, your tackle. You go out and fish. Come back. It's a simple life. You sell some fish. Everybody's happy. Away you go. So I can see where he would decide, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to go back and do that. Because he's never experienced pain and sorrow fishing as the way he has here. So I'm going back. Peter, as I say, is especially discouraged. And the disciples are in the boat. Remember, John is symbolic at every level, so we'll get into that in a bit. But the boat was a symbol for the church. We are together in the boat. So here we are, Weston Park Baptist Church, right? We are one church in the middle of hundreds of churches in the city of Toronto, probably thousands, and then the province, and then Canada and the world. I mean, there are millions of churches. And we are one of them. I mean, we are in our boat. I was talking to David Thomas yesterday or the day before. He's the pastor over at Blythewood. We remember David used to play guitar with us. And he was talking about their concerns of their church having gone through COVID. And they're big, just as much as what we've gone through. He says it's a whole new story. Anyway, Blythewood is in their little boat. We are in our little boat. And so here we are, right? So we, you know, we bug each other in the boat. I don't know, you ever been in a small boat? Everybody's rubbing shoulders with everybody. People there, they don't smell very good. They don't talk very good. Like baseball players in a dugout, right? Here we are in a boat. So the disciples are there. How's it, how's, how are they going to work these things out? What are they all thinking? So all of a sudden, they're out there fishing, fish through the night. And we have here a stranger calls out because they don't recognize Jesus right away. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? Interesting that he calls them children. And it is the word world child, the word child, children. Children, you have no fish, have you? You haven't caught anything the whole night. They answered him, no. He says to them, cast the net to the right side or to the starboard. And you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Now, as a diver, I can recognize that. Because when you're scuba diving, all of a sudden, a huge school of fish will just go by. There are no fish. And then all of a sudden, there's 200 fish. They're just there. So I can see how this would happen. They're fishing all night. 
And just at that time, when Jesus says, cast on the right side, there comes the big school of fish. They scoop it up and get it. I could easily see how that would happen. Timing. But they get so many fish, they're not even able to haul it in. That disciple whom Jesus loved, who seems to be John, the writer of the gospel, John says to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked. Probably not naked, naked, but he's down right to a, a little smock that they're wearing. He wants to be free on the boat. Draws it up, round a belt, jumps into the lake. <laughs> John doesn't say that he swims to the shore. He just says he jumped into the lake. We have to assume that he actually swam, right? Otherwise, Peter just jumps into the water. That wouldn't make any sense. He jumps in the water. He starts swimming, and the rest of them come in by boat, 100 yards off. Okay, so you can see all this? Pretty good, eh? It sounds like this is an eyewitness here. There's a lot of details going on. John being one of them. He was there. He's telling us how this went down. Pretty cool. It's a photograph of that scene. They're fishing all night. Stranger on the... Shore says, hey, throw it over there. John recognizes that it's Christ, and they go on in. Wow, pretty cool. They're in their little boat, and we're in our little boat. So what does it say? So Jesus serves breakfast. I love that. Jesus. Whew. Jesus, the Son of God, making breakfast. How good is that? That's got to be pretty darn good. Christmas time, we typically go over to Simon's place, and Simon makes amazing pancakes. Big, fluffy pancakes with berries in them. Wonderful. Everybody loves bacon, that kind of stuff, right? So it goes on and on and on. It's great. Well, here we got Jesus making breakfast. One day, we got to get in on that. We want Jesus to make us breakfast. On the other side, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on that one. What does he make? He makes fish and bread. Fish and bread is the feeding of the 5,000. That happened on Lake of Galilee. Jesus is doing it, cooking on a charcoal fire. The only other time that word is used is when Peter denies Christ three times, warming around the fire, and it's a charcoal fire. John's making the connections. There's continuity and transformation. It's interesting how Jesus appears after the resurrection, but he looks different. And it takes them a while to figure out that it's actually Jesus. There's continuity, but there's transformation. All of that's going on. So as we just sum this little bit up, Jesus is present with us in ordinary times. Jesus is present with us when we go fishing. John Morey, you're a big fisherman. Shrugs. This guy's an ace fisherman. He loves it. French River, up there. <laughs> Jesus is with you when you're fishing. Jesus is with us in the happy times and the sad times, the disappointments, the discouragements. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus is there with him. So he's present with us in all times. So the Gospels present. The challenge we have is we don't always recognize Jesus. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus. 
And we don't always recognize him. We don't always get it. We don't always respond to the interior nudge. Spirit of God does not bang us over the head normally, sledgehammer. It's usually a nudge. Do you respond to the nudge? You might say, well, the nudge is just a coincidence. That's all. It's just something that happened. Fish were there. I threw my net over, and boom, they're already there. The nudge is maybe something spiritually is happening here. So we don't always recognize Jesus when he's with us, but he is with us. Can we wake up and see that and recognize it? I like this uh, wood engraving by Fritz Eichenberg, and it was used by the Catholic worker movement back in the 1940s. And they picked up on this wood engraving and used it in their papers. Dorothy Day was a key member in all that. Not Dorothy Day the actress, Dorothy Day social activist. And so what do we see here? We see a group of homeless men waiting in a soup line, and in the middle character, with the sun or the moon behind him, is Jesus. So Jesus is in the middle of that soup line. The issue is, do we recognize Jesus in the line? Food banks are busier than ever right now. We know that, right? Big headlines. Bigger than ever. Go up to Central United. You can get stuff. Food bank is there. Can I recognize Jesus in the midst of that? Jesus is present. See, the exterior world, the visible world, says, no, no, (laughs) Jesus isn't with you. He's not there. The interior world might just say, yes, Jesus is there. What do we do with that? I was talking to Dave Thomas. He was looking for something over at Blythewood, and, you know, we're chatting away, and they had conversations to join in with another church, and he was saying, oh, I don't know, I still feel called here. And I'm saying to him, David, if you feel called here, then that's where you stay. That's your vocation. Stay. Don't worry about everything else. Career climbers, they're moving every two or three years, but they want to get here, 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 because in the end, I want this big goal to be the pastor of 2,000 people. To get there, you've got to go through all the steps. You're not going to get there if you stay called to a little boat, most likely. He says, thanks for saying that, Alan. I need to hear that. So, you know, how do we pick up the nudges of Jesus? That's my point. For you, your age, you person, what's going on in your life? Jesus is there. We often don't recognize him. Spiritually, what's going on? God's call to us. Can I hear his voice, yes or no? Visible, invisible. Exterior, interior. I love this one. Jesus in the middle. And then thirdly, the the symbolism. Let's just look at it a little bit. The symbolism of these two going together. Fishing in the Gospels has to do with mission. So there's a deeper level. Fishing, mission, reaching out. 
An unbroken net, 153 fish. The net doesn't break. Unity. And by the way, fishermen do remember numbers of fish. I counted them. That was amazing, 153 fish. I counted them. It's not surprising the guy remembers that. It's a big haul. Pulling the net, Jesus draws us. Look up that verse 1232. Jesus drawing us. It's a beautiful verse. So when they pull the net, the symbolism is that Jesus draws us. The abundance of fish, 153. The harvest will be big. Eating together, the Eucharist, Lord's table. And Peter's action, a call to Peter. So there's all these levels that are going on. And it all talks about the interior and the exterior and being attentive and being alert. I think that's kind of interesting. All right, so that's the first story. Then a second story, a little shorter, a discussion with Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me, agape? Do you love me, sacrificial love? Do you love me? More than these. What's more than these? We don't know exactly, but I say more than these is this life. It's the sea life, man. It's your whole place of comfort where you just feel really relaxed. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the boats, the water, the sky, the sea? The gear, the smell of the fish, do you love me more than all these? For you, it would be something totally different. What, what, what is then these for you? Could be, you know, somewhere, a different place. Scuba diving in the Caribbean, I don't know. What's good, for skiing on the Alps? I don't know. What's your, what's your thing? Do you love me more than these? And he asks the question three times, because Peter had denied him three times. And interesting enough, do you love me? Jesus uses agape every time. Sacrificial love. Do you love me sacrificially? It would be a sacrifice to give up the life of the sea. Do you love me that way, deep enough? Interesting, Peter, two out of the three times, he ends up with friendship love. Yes, I love you. I love you as a friend. Switches once to agape, finally. Jesus is saying, do you love me sacrificially? And I can turn around and say, I love you as a friend. That's not quite the same thing. I'm not asking that. Do you love me enough so it hurts? Now, frequently, friends will do that, sure. So there's this thing going on. Jesus says, well, if that's the case, feed my lambs. Secondly, tend my sheep. Thirdly, feed my sheep. I have a call for you. I have a challenge for you. I want you to work with me, to be my voice. And you know what? I think that is the same for all of us, finally. You're not your own thing. You're not your own person just doing out your own thing. If you know Jesus, then you have a, somehow of a responsibility to him in your life. Otherwise, you don't know. You don't know him. If he's the Lord and you're the disciple, then that means something to you. 
So then what does that mean? So Jesus is saying, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. Teach in Sunday school. What's a better way than to feed my lambs than to help little ones come to know the Lord? That's feeding my lambs. Dave is here. Dave's mom works in sacrifice in Sunday school forever. Probably 50 years. Wow. It's amazing. But it can be different ways. It can be ways, being a good neighbor to other people, coming alongside when they're hurting. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. That's what Peter hears from Jesus. Final call, follow me. Interesting enough, Eusebius was a church historian writing in the 3rd century, in the 200s. And he tells us that Peter finally was crucified under the time of Nero. And Peter would not be crucified the same way as Christ, so he asked that he would be crucified upside down. So he's crucified upside down because he doesn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way as Jesus. Eusebius writes that in the 230s, 240s. That is most likely 99% true. An early church historian writing that down. Will you follow me, Peter? Peter does follow. He denied Christ three times, but here he follows. So that's, you know... Feed my sheep, tend my lambs, follow me. So here we go as we end. Peter is restored in his relationship. I like this. Failure is never final with God. God knows the beginning from the end. He is able to start over. You know, Jeremiah has that wonderful image of the potter, right? And he's working with the clay. He's talking about Israel, the country. He's working, he's working, he's working. All of a sudden the clay messes up, breaks in half. The potter doesn't stop. He just starts keeping working with the same clay and then makes something new. Breaks, makes something new. So Jesus with us. It's a beautiful image. So failure is never final. Peter is restored. If he's restored, we can be restored. Jesus speaks of the importance of the church. We are in the boat together. Like it or not, we are in the boat together. So what's your role? What's my role in the boat? You can't just say, well, I don't like the boat. You know what I mean? You can't do that and get out and go into another boat. That's all right, but you've got to do one or the other. We have a responsibility to do what we can. The importance of the boat, the importance of traveling together, being responsible. Thirdly, to help people. It's interesting to keep believing in Jesus. I have a verse here. It says this. John sums it up. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Come to believe Gospel of John's often called the gospel of belief, but this is important. So come to believe is jump in. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name, meaning ongoing believing. 
Believing that second one is the present act of participle, which means keep on believing. Why is the Gospel of John written? It is written primarily for Christians, Christians, that they will be encouraged to keep on believing. That's number one. That's why this gospel was written. Sure, it's an invitation to everybody. But on a deeper level, it's a call for you and for me to keep on believing. Believing all the way through your life. Believing when you're prepared to just give up the whole thing because it's, it seems like a disaster. The visible world is drawing me in. What about the invisible world? Keep on believing. I don't know where you're at right now, but that's the call. Call for you, call for me. And as we do that, that we might imitate Jesus as the good shepherd and be the good shepherd to others. Being aware of the interior world in all the exterior stuff that's going on. So I hope we'll go out today thinking that, okay, Maybe I need to reflect a little more. Peter gets drawn back in. Ultimately, you know what? All the disciples are martyred except John. All of them. Every one. So they hung in there. So may we hang in there. In Christ's name. Amen.